Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. The world still remembers the name Joseph Mengele. The depraved Nazi physician remains infamous for the barbaric experiments he conducted on prisoners at Auschwitz. But Mengele's co-worker, Karl Klauberg, has been largely forgotten. That's even though he shared a human laboratory with Mengele, the women's block 10 at Auschwitz. He, too, used inmates as human guinea pigs in his medical experiments. A new documentary about Klauberg aims to remind people of this horrifying history and also the filmmaker's hope to expose those who are still profiting from Klauberg's work today. It's called Made in Auschwitz, the untold story of Block 10, and it will be screened this weekend as part of the St. Louis International Film Festival. Joining me in studio to discuss the film is its American producer. That's Rita Chapo-Sweet. She's a professor of media studies at the Pierre Laclede Honors College at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Rita, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, for those of you listening, do you have a question or comment about the disturbing legacy of Carl Klauberg? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at STL Public Radio. Now, Rita Chapo-Sweet, I know your work on Klauberg stems in part from an obsession of your late husband's. Yes. What got him interested in this topic? Well, um, uh, my husband, uh, uh, Dr. Frederick Sweet, um, was on the uh, faculty in the Department of OBGYN at uh, uh, Barnes at Washington University Medical School, and um, he was uh, he was a, a, a molecular endocrinologist, and so he was on a number of review boards. And he was reviewing an article uh, for the uh, journal Steroids. And he came across uh, something in the text that mentioned the uh, Klauberg essay. And my husband was a, you know, a, a researcher and a historian. And that just, he just had a feeling there was something there. So he started to look into it. And he discovered that, um, that uh, this person was actually um, very active and, and it, it, working in Auschwitz around the same time as Mengele was. And his original concept was that um, uh, only that he was going to contact the journal Steroids and um, and uh, have them put a disclaimer by Klauberg's name because, as Fred said, you know you can't get uh, you can't do any research, publish any research these days unless you disclose that you got a lunch from a pharmaceutical company. Or I mean, you have to have it has to be open. So he said this should definitely you know be at least uh, um, available information. Well, he wrote wrote to steroids, and I think that was a little too much reality for them. So they didn't change their policy. They didn't respond to no, this. No, 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 no. He'd been on the board for maybe 10, 15 years. That's even more insulting. You'd Fred, think. <laughs> Fred used to say people can't take too much reality. Mm-hmm. So, um, but then he went on to do further research. And, um, uh, and so he basically um, uh, started to find more and more about this guy, but it was very, very difficult. And the, 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 the fact is that even though people don't know who he is and people are very familiar with uh, Mengele, um, he was infinitely more dangerous because Mengele was, um, I mean, almost a kind of a dilettante. He was a, he was trained in anthropology, but not in um, he wasn't a, he, he knew nothing about the scientific theory, scientific method, etc. There were no controls. You know, he was just he didn't really know what he, he was doing. He didn't know what he was doing, and it was ghastly, and it was horrible, and 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 all. But also, 
he was there on the platform when the trains came in. So part of his mythology is this very dashing, handsome, can be very charming, young guy. He must have been in his 30s or something. Uh, and Klauberg was short and fat and, and not particularly attractive. So anyway, but the point is that, um, that while Mengele was doing these crazy twin experiments, um, uh, Klauberg had a mandate directly from Himmler. So Himmler was second in command. Uh, you know, after after uh, Hitler, and his assignment had been that he was to find uh, ways to sterilize men and women and Jews, basically, because that's who they that's they, what they had ultimately were exactly. Um, but um, to find ways to do mass sterilizations, because obviously the the intent was, as the Nazis went further east, um, then um, they would you know, conquer more people. They would work them to death, but they didn't want them to procreate. And Dr. Klauberg, prior to going to work for Himmler, had been a, a respected physician. He's a very was, famous yeah. scientist. I don't know how many people listening are old enough to remember the old rabbit test, but the rabbit test was basically what became called the Klauberg assay, which was that you could determine pregnancy um, by uh, through the uh, determining from the urine of the rabbit, uh, kind of like what we get nowadays, you know, in the, the drugstore. But it was more primitive, but very effective. And so he gained notoriety with that simple very practical kind of um, um, experiment that he did. So he pioneered this he method. He pioneered of, it. Okay. So here he was, this respected physician, goes to work for the Nazi regime. Um, early. He joined the Nazi party in, I think, 1933. Very early. And so this was probably less a case of pressure and more of no ambition or, or that he even believed this stuff himself. Absolutely. So um, you and your husband, your late husband, um, uncovered these letters, and he wrote Himmler in 1943 to say that he'd achieved his goal, yes. that he could sterilize people without doing any operation. One physician could do a thousand of these procedures in a single ten day. One physician, ten assistants, and a thousand women a day. And so they were doing these with injections. Uh, there were two different ways, primarily. One of the ways was by injecting. Another was removing ovaries. And uh, and um, the third was uh, X-ray. Now there was another doctor there who was who did more of the uh, the uh, X-ray experiments. That wasn't really Klauberg's field. Okay. But um, but he did the more you know medicinal aspect of it. I would say. So he develops this way to sterilize people. What was the human cost uh, with the the subjects that he was working on oh, to develop these techniques? It was ghastly. I mean, in most cases, they didn't use any anesthesia. But I I don't think Mengele did either. I mean, that was not uncommon for the way they worked. Um, but there's an interesting story that that there was a a, a doctor working with uh, the team who was actually Jewish. And he had, he actually, he was given this opportunity to work there, but basically what he tried to do was undermine them from time to time. So he, uh, there were times when he would 
uh, operate on a woman, and instead of uh, taking two uh, both ovaries, they, he took only one. Mm-hmm. And that's how the women who are interviewed in this uh, story survived, and in fact, many of them went on to have children. So some of them were able to go on. Yes, because but, of this one remaining ovary. But many other women, oh, they, they were sterilized against they their were will. They were sterilized, and many of them died prematurely because of the horrific accidents, and many died while you know, well, right after they were there, the only thing was they wanted the autopsies. So they, they, you know, didn't dispose, they didn't send them to the gas chamber because they wanted to examine the remains. (sighs) That's so morbid. Now, the documentary that you helped to produce about Klauberg, it tells of his attempt to re-enter German life after being a prisoner of war in Russia. Let's listen to that. Ten years after the war, Most West Germans have all but forgotten about Auschwitz. In 1955, thousands of German prisoners of war return home from the Soviet Union. This is cause for celebration. Among the freed is Karl Klauberg, a respected gynecologist, soon to be the subject of newspaper reports. He also wants to make a fresh start in the new Federal Republic of Germany. But in November 1955, the Central Council of Jews in Germany brings charges against Professor Klauberg. He's accused of performing medical experiments on numerous female prisoners in Auschwitz, resulting in severe damage to their health and in some cases, death. Many of the victims can no longer be questioned, while others are too ashamed to speak up. The women who are brave enough to testify are subjected to humiliating procedures in order to establish the truth of their statements medically. The German justice system doubts their claims. After all, Professor Klauberg is a respected expert in his field. That's a clip from Made in Auschwitz, The Untold Story of Block 10. It's a new documentary, and we're talking today to its American producer. That's Rita Chapo-Sweet, and she's also a professor of media studies at UMSL. Um, Rita, so he goes to, he gets sent to Russia. He's there as a prisoner of war, but he comes back to Germany thinking he's going to resume his medical career. How were they able to stop him at that point? So he comes back in, uh, after 10 years, uh, from Russia in one in a in a massive prisoner of war exchange or just you know an amnesty and an exchange, and um, uh, Klauberg had no remorse whatsoever. So he want and in fact he was proud of his medical expertise. So he was uh, he was interviewed uh, on uh, you know television and in the, in the media, and there were a few um, survivors who recognized him. Mm. And so they began um, agitating for him not to just be able to go about life as normal. So then he was, uh, there was another trial, he was put in prison, and I believe uh, a decade into it, he died of a heart attack. So okay. he really didn't experience any kind of justice. But then again, you know, um, uh, few of them did. Yeah. So there were attempts to prosecute him for this, but ultimately he ended up dying on his own. Right. Okay. Now, even before this documentary, you and your husband wrote a paper on Klauberg, and it was published in the Israeli Medical Association Journal. Such an interesting paper. Tell us what you were looking at there. Well, it was actually the lead article in, in that in that journal. Um, th- this was actually my husband's, I guess, uh, uh, um, 
not revenge, but the fact that he steroids didn't pay any attention to him, at least the uh, Israeli medical journal did. Uh, and essentially what he was looking for, what we were looking for was background on Klauberg and, and essentially to try and find out um, uh, how many, what the difference is between the notoriety of Mengele compared to Klauberg. And one of the results was that, um, that in the looking at different uh, citations of Klauberg in the, in the literature, um, in the medical uh, literature, Klauberg is reasonably well known for his medical, not for his Auschwitz work, but for his previous um, um, uh, experiments. Um, but when we went into the more popular press, then obviously Klauberg's uh, name just kind of sunk to the bottom, and it, that was where Mengele was uh, was um, the the person that people associated with uh, with um, Nazi war experiment Nazi experiments. It's interesting, before this documentary came along that you're a producer in, and before this paper that you and your husband wrote, from doing some Googling, you can't find hardly anything about Dr. Klauberg. That's the whole point. Why do you think he was able to, I mean, these cases were covered in the German media at the time, as the the documentary makes clear. Why do you think Mengele is held up as this, this figure of horror, and yet we don't talk about this esteemed doctor who was doing terrible things? Well, Part of the answer is in your question. He was an esteemed doctor, and and um, uh, so that was part of it. And there was in Germany after the war, there was a sense of wanting to get back things to get back to normal. So um, uh, I think that's part of it. And then I mean, literally, people just wanted to move on. But also, he was he he wasn't the kind of person that had the kind of mythology about him as uh, uh, that um, that Mengele did. So, um, and, you know, this is a fairly gruesome topic. So, you know, I think that, that um, you know, there isn't an overabundance of information on some of these, I guess, secondary people, except that he, I think the important, the takeaway from this is basically that there was a regime that essentially wanted to find ways of mass sterilization. I mean, I think that that's kind of the the most important thing um, that differentiates the two. Mm-hmm. Now, you and your late husband in this paper, you were calling for some changes to how Klauberg is referred to in things like textbooks. and Right. Um, what kind of reaction did you get? Are, are people taking that gauntlet and, and running with it? Well, I haven't really uh, come up with uh, all that many people who noticed that. But it was my husband's desire, basically, to make the point that, um, that uh, you can't just let something like this go. Mm-hmm. And that the more, and hopefully this is what the film will do, to make people to 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 make people more familiar with him as a character, and then I suppose you know the rest of the literature and it will follow. I want to make a very very important point though that um, I'm the American producer for this film, but the my colleagues um, uh, Sonia Winterberg and um, and uh, Sylvia Nagel were really they were the they were the first ones to really start uh, looking up this subject. We were working in completely different 
you know, orbits. You had no idea. They <laughs> were working know on they this. They were working they on it. They didn't know you were working on it. And I don't think this. either any of us thought that anyone else is crazy enough to do something like this. So, um, but then, but they were the ones who, and by the time they contacted me, they had already um, interviewed most of those women who you see on the screen. So, so they had tracked down a number of these They victims. had tracked them down, yes. So, but they wanted some help from you. What were they looking for on your end? Well, um, Sonia read our paper and uh, and contacted me, I think because I'm also a, you know, television media pr- um, producer. And um, so part of it, I think, was just to, to kind of, you know, cr- f- create the circle of getting all the information together because I had a a part of it that they that, you know they I dealt with most of the personal issues and the people who actually were uh, his um his um um victims but it was my my husband's um uh decades of work in the area of reproductive biology actually <clears throat> my father was as um i come from a long line of of obgyns my father arpad chapo um was also at the obgyn department at barnes at washington u and he when fred and his family arrived uh, my father was a um, uh, senior faculty, and Fred was junior faculty. So uh, I grew up my early part of my life with, you know, my father. I was introduced to all of these people who were at that time um, uh, working with progesterone. My father was one of the um, uh, students of the one of the two people who discovered uh, progesterone. Oh wow! And at one time, people don't know this, but at one time, St. Louis is, a, and especially uh, Washington U, was a real hotbed of reproductive biology. Willard Allen, uh, who is one of the people who discovered progesterone, was the head of the OB department where my mm-hmm. father came, and that was also at the same time when Masters and Johnson were doing their experiments, which ended and, up being a show on Showtime. Absolutely, and everybody wanted I mean you know everyone wanted to those to see those experiments and learn more about them because they were bringing prostitutes into anyway it's a long story but it was a very important period mm-hmm. um, and um, so uh, and then when I married my husband he too uh, is you know OBGYN except he was he was a, a chemist a, a, a physical chemist so anyway this has been a part of my life ever since I can remember so that medical knowledge that was something that, that was, was very useful to yes. these producers yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, the documentary, it doesn't just look at Klauberg's life. It also looks at how his inventions continue to be used today. Let's listen. To this day, Schering, now part of the pharmaceutical giant Bayer, continues to profit off Klauberg's Auschwitz experiments. Synthetic hormones he developed are used around the world for fertility treatments, and gender reassignment procedures. By far the most frequent use of such hormones is in oral contraceptives. Klauberg is considered the father of the birth control pill. The Klauberg test has been immortalized in medical history books, but the doctor's crimes in Auschwitz are rarely mentioned. Bayer stands by their scientific achievements. Their slogan brags, science for a better life. The company denies any connection to Klauberg's experiments or their potential profit from them. Despite our best efforts, no one from the company agreed to appear on camera. They wrote to us instead. During the period when the Schering company was engaged in close scientific exchange with Klauberg, 
It was his aim as a doctor to use hormones to treat female infertility and to use hormones to sustain pregnancy. Klauberg's later experiments under Himmler have nothing to do with his previous hormone research. Following 1940, Schering no longer maintained a scientific relationship with Karl Klauberg. That's from Made in Auschwitz, The Untold Story of Block 10, a new documentary that will be at the St. Louis International Film Festival this weekend. We're talking to its American producer. That's Rita Chapo Sweet. Um, and as they're referring to in that clip from the film, when they talk about Bayer, that's actually the correct German pronunciation of Bayer, which now owns our local company, Monsanto. And Rita, as Bayer makes clear, they're not using the methods he invented in Auschwitz. Correct. The contributions predate that, but they are working with with um, things that Klauberg invented. Uh, do you think Bayer has an ethical problem here continuing to profit off of his work? Uh, I think that, uh, yes, to answer your question, yes, but I think that it goes much broader than that. It wasn't just Bayer or Schering. Uh, you know, it was IG Farben, it was um, uh, IBM, it was... Um, um, the Krups, Mangala. There's the Mangala company, family company, still uh, maintains tractors, and they, they, many of them didn't even change their names. Wow. So it, that's a much larger issue. But I have to say that um, that um, that it's really something that we need to be concerned about. Uh, it, the general ethics that go along with um, with mass production of anything. You know, I mean, I think that's a very dangerous period we're living in where we, we have these m massive companies that don't really deal with the ethics of what they're actually um, um, creating. What would you like to see Bayer do here? Do you think they should be giving money to victims or, or working in some sort of restitution way? They can't just discard these um, these inventions that are helping people. No, but I think I think the only thing you can do uh, is disclose as much of it as you can, and then people to be really get the idea. About absolutely, it. Okay. absolutely. Now we think of Mengele as an exception, as a monster, um, but as we found out with Klauberg, maybe he wasn't such an exception. Do you think there are other Klaubergs or other Mengele's lurking in this modern era? Well, I'm glad that you you brought that up because um, one of the the uh, one of the things that my husband was looking at, and uh, he received a Fulbright Fellowship in, I think, 2010. He died in 2013. And we were in Bosnia. Um, he had discovered, with with the consultation of a, uh, Dr. Jeremy um, uh, Hugh Barron in New York, um, that, that through, from almost all of the major genocides in the 20th century, almost all of them were um, masterminded by medical professionals. Wow. So that goes for the Armenian genocide, which the Turks still don't say is a genocide, but uh, the Second World War um, in Bosnia and uh, and Rwanda. And uh, the question, so Fred was on the um, uh, admissions board for over 20 years, and he um, and he couldn't get his, wrap his head around the idea that in a profession where you are, you take an oath to do no harm. In fact, you could be you could turn into a mass murderer. Some of them are doing the ultimate harm. Absolutely. So, uh, and you know, if you look at Bosnia, um, uh, Karadzic was you know who is the head of the Bosnian Serbs. Um, he was a psychiatrist and a poet. But um, but in any event, uh, that 
that issue was something my husband was really both fascinated by and wanted to develop a prototype of what, like for instance, if someone comes to you, um, how can you keep somebody like this out of of the medical practice? Mm. And he had one um, he had one episode where a student came to him, and um, and Fred asked, "So why do you want to be a a doctor or a surgeon?" And he said, "Well, he's already started doing experiments." And Fred said, "Well, don't the people you know who he said he works in a in a vet's office?" And Fred said, "Well, don't those people object to you?" doing uh, experiments with their pets. And he said, oh, no, 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 it doesn't. They're not pets. They're strays. And Fred wrote, under no circumstances should this person be accepted to Washington University. He wasn't, but I'm sure he went elsewhere. And who knows, he may be a wonderful guy. But but I think that's what Fred was looking at. And unfortunately, in Europe, and in particular in Eastern Europe, if your grades are good, or even if they're not, if you come from a prominent family, you will, especially if a medical, a prominent medical family, you'll get admitted to a medical mm-hmm. school without any, you know, with, without any check and balance. So he would have liked to see a, a tougher standard maybe. At that, that level, at that entry level. Yeah. Absolutely. That we try to weed out people who could be these bad doctors. Absolutely. That's interesting. Now, I know that you, you're you're not in the medical field, even not though your, your entire family has been in it. But you spent your career studying propaganda. Yes. Um, do you see parallels to this Nazi era that you've now gone so in-depth in, in learning about Klauberg with the other work that you do? Oh, absolutely. Um, I w- I'm a child of the Cold War. So when I was growing up, there was this fiction that, you know, propaganda only happens with the Soviet Union. We don't do propaganda. The they do. Um, and uh, and as I'm watching even today, you know, watching the 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 uh, uh, impeaching uh, impeachment trial or whatever it is, um, I'm always struck by the by the uh, the words that are used, um, you know, the concept of the big lie, which basically comes from right out of Hitler early in the war, essentially saying that the Jews have started uh, the war and therefore we must stop it. I mean, which mm-hmm. is just the most absurd. It, there was no truth in it. That everything flows from this false premise. Absolutely. And I'm seeing more and more of that now. And it, with the increasing technology you have, which uh, which doesn't do any check and balance, um, I just think it's incredibly disturbing. And I'm very alarmed right now in the moment that we live where you cannot agree on what a truth is. That's I think that's just deadly. Well, these are some sobering thoughts on on a very sobering day. Uh, Rita Chapo-Sweet, producer of Made in Auschwitz, The Untold Story of Block 10. Thank you so much for joining us Thank you, Sarah. It's been my pleasure. And for those who are interested in learning more about Dr. Klauberg, the film screens screens at 3 p.m. this Sunday. That's November 17th at Plaza Frontenac Cinema. It's part of the St. Louis International Film Festival. You can get more information on that website. And Sonia Winterberg will be there with me. Oh, that's great. That's the German. Yes, uh, absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Um, So, well, Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.